Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Alex Hausand, and I'll be your host. Today, we've got a super special treat for you as we've rounded up a collection of mini features we've recorded this year. We're excited to highlight four talented Elixirists with diverse backgrounds and experience that are working on exciting Elixir projects in fintech, food services, and gaming. Let's kick things off with our first mini feature, where we'll be talking to Tyler Clements, Senior Software Engineer at Jackpocket. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. So Tyler, how did you find yourself a software engineer? What led you here? Yeah, so I probably have more of a traditional kind of went through school. I originally went to school for networking, got in, got my associates in networking, got a job in that, started working with that. And it was just kind of really boring to me. Um, A lot of sitting around and looking at logs, setting stuff up. And anyways, I got frustrated with software not working well or having bugs. And that led me down the programming path. And I went back to school and got my bachelor's in computer information systems. So That's awesome. What was the first language that you programmed in? The first one I programmed in, my first job in programming was in C Sharp, so .NET. I did a lot of C and C++ as well, converting stuff over. So Nice. That was also my first job was in C Sharp. So how much better do you like Elixir than C Sharp? Not hating on C Sharp too much, but opening the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard it's gotten better since then. I've heard C Sharp or F Sharp as well has a functional thing to it. But I love Elixir. I've been working with Elixir. I have my 2017 Elixir comp shirt on, but I've been working with Elixir for several years now, and I love it. I bounce around back to Ruby, which I think a lot of Elixir developers do, or a lot of companies are doing. But yeah, I've decided years ago, it's definitely my career trajectory to keep working with Elixir. How did you find Elixir? I mean, it's relatively small still. It's, I would say, more obscure than, you know, a C-sharp. How did you find it? Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. I had a friend that went to San Diego RubyConf. I forget when that was years ago. And there was actually a functional track during that conference that talked a lot about functional languages. And Elixir was kind of one of them that came up. So he kind of got into it, played with it, and that kind of by osmosis kind of got pushed onto me and he was always talking about it. And so I started exploring it and the rest is kind of history. I just started digging into it and trying to find a way to work with it professionally. So, Which you're doing now at Jackpocket. Could you give us a brief elevator pitch for what Jackpocket does? Yeah. So I just actually started working at Jackpocket. They're Basically, the first and I think only licensed app in the United States to offer people, players, like an easy way to order official lottery tickets. So they're basically kind of their big mission is to make it convenient, fun, but also still responsible to play the lottery. So instead of walking into a a store and buying a lottery ticket, you can do it right through their mobile app. Fascinating. I had no idea that anything like that ever existed. I've also, however, only bought lottery tickets once in my life. So can't say I'm probably the target customer. So how is Jackpocket using Elixir? Is it your primary working language, side projects, anything like that? Yeah. So Jackpocket is, I think, taking a good approach and kind of using the right tools for the right job. And they're using a mixture of languages. They're doing Java and Kotlin, Rust, Elixir, Ruby. They're kind of all over the place as far as what they're using. As far as Elixir, we're actually doing a lot of kind of backend OTP processes, which got me 
excited about it. It's not necessarily just like a, for lack of better words, like a standard website you're building. So we're doing a lot of background processing, dealing with image processing, scanning the tickets and matching them up. So yeah. That's really cool. Truly like a jack of all trades going on, right? I mean, you threw out Kotlin. (laughs) Yeah. Everything (laughs) under the sun. Yeah. Do you think that there are some kind of inherent perks and on the flip side of that challenges to being an Elixir engineer, whether that comes to hiring other engineers or being hired yourself? Yeah. So recently going through kind of like the interview process, I was surprised how many companies are actually out there using Elixir. And I think that's growing every day. It is a little bit of a challenge to find them. You kind of have to Uh, find the right people that are working with these companies or hiring for these companies that are doing Elixir. So that's definitely, I guess, both a challenge and a perk, right? It's growing, but also it's still kind of hard to find. One of the things as a software engineer is, you know, the whole uh, picking the right tool for the job is a big thing. And I think Elixir is starting to be realized as a good tool for several jobs out there. So its growth has definitely taken off. I would 100% agree with you. One of the things that I really came to love about Elixir when I first started working in it was kind of the vast wealth of resources, particularly within the community. I feel like the Elixir community does a really awesome job of documentation that's thorough and clear and not obtuse, one might say. What are some resources that you turn to when you maybe need some help? Yeah. So Elixir Slack, amazing, amazing community in there. I mean, you're talking with the guys that are building the stuff. So there's not, I think, a better resource than that. And that's awesome. Books, everything from Elixir in action. And there's a ton of kind of resources out there. Another thing is Elixir School. It's kind of has a smaller subset of things on it, but it's growing and has some really good documentation on there. And to your point, like the standard documentation is actually amazing. Just go in there and read, you know, so I've definitely taken advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that everybody here at SmartLogic definitely enjoys the wealth of resources that the Elixir community makes available to us. It might be kind of a challenge, I guess, going backwards a bit. Speaking about how, you know, the community's growing, but it's still rather small. How do you onboard folks in Elixir? What is a good starting point, do you think? Yeah, so what I found over the years is a lot of Ruby engineers, I think we can all kind of agree that a lot of Ruby engineers are coming over to Elixir. I'm seeing it at the conferences, you know, a lot of people are either have worked with Ruby and Rails and are coming to Elixir, or maybe they're porting something over, or they're taking advantage of something that Elixir does better. And I think the syntax and whatnot, and how it's more familiar to a Ruby developer, I've been part of kind of training Ruby developers and bringing them over to Elixir, and that has worked really well. And then also just trying to find people that you can teach. As long as you're not on a rush to get somebody right now on the ground running, that's a good avenue, I feel like. Absolutely. You've mentioned you've been training people. What has been one of the bigger challenges of training others. With Elixir, it's got some quirks to it that I feel like I've always said that Elixir kind of has a steep learning curve in the sense of there's a lot of stuff going on at first. There's these processes and pattern matching and and whatnot. But once you kind of get over that hump, I feel like it's 
easy to understand things and you can open things up. Whereas object-oriented programming, something like Ruby, I feel like has a little bit easier to get into, but can be harder to master in my opinion. So kind of the bumps, you know, pattern matching for sure is weird to look at and dealing with processes that are kind of this weird thing that you don't deal with a lot. But those are two things for sure that you have to explain a little and walk through. One of my favorite things when I was learning Elixir was pattern matching. I thought, man, that's cool. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) To end on a fun question, if you were not a software engineer, what would you be? I love photography. And that's kind of like my other passion. I always say programming is my first passion, photography is my second. So it would probably be something with that. I think I'm fortunate to be in a career that I love waking up and going to work every day and being an engineer. And I feel like I could get something similar with photography. Yeah, you absolutely could. (laughs) Start that side hustle, as they say. Make a Elixir app that displays your photography. Who knows? The world is your oyster, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Tyler, for joining us today. It was great talking to you. For our next mini feature, we'll be talking to Elam Amuzu about his journey from a career in public education to learning functional programming and becoming a software developer. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great having you here. You are passionate about adapting Elixir as a programming language. So I wanted to ask you what your first programming language was. Mine was technically Python. Uh, Yes, mine was uh, Ruby. Delightful. So you had probably an easier transition into Elixir than some others. Yes, that's actually how I got into it is... um... One of my, I guess you call him a mentor of some sort, was teaching kind of like intro workshops on Elixir. And he sold it as, you know, syntax-like close to Ruby and a good way to start exploring kind of functional programming paradigms. How do you like the functional programming compared to other languages? To be honest, I'm not sure I'm in the space where I can even speak to a comparison. I will say there are, I don't know, key advantages to to either style, I do appreciate this kind of statelessness of functional programming and the focus on on functions as a way of transforming data. I think, yeah, that's kind of key. I think my brain personally works a bit more functionally than object-orientedly, which is yeah. a, a word I'm going to make up right now. How did you find your way into programming in general? Well, in general, I was a, I transitioned into this field. I was, I'm a former educator and went to a local software school called Turing. And that's actually how I ended up getting into Elixir to begin with. So my transition started from the education side and kind of exploring software in that space with students and went to kind of tool up and get some skills myself. And in that space, started learning Ruby and through this mentor was connected to Elixir. Awesome. Do you have a desire to move back towards your education roots at all one day to teach other people the benefits of programming? It's always in the back of my head. And actually, yes, that's something I've thought about and I I keep in mind. And I think even some of the work I'm doing now, I'm always trying to integrate the educational aspects of um, some of the skills I learned in my previous career. I think it's really important that, you know, you are only as good think is how you can help others. If you can explain what you're working on and if you can help others explain, understand it, that matters a lot. So what do you think are the pros of adopting Elixir as an early career developer, as a first language? I would say as a, I guess in a sense for me, I didn't, as an early kind of stage developer, early career developer, 
I would say that Elixir is a good language for you to start out with if you're trying to explore functional programming because of the kind of developer-friendly syntax that I brought over from the Ruby community. That's really what helped me make my way through because when I started trying to explore Erlang, I had to take a quick pause and, <laughs> and gather myself. Um, so I would say, you know, I don't necessarily have the range of experience necessary to make certain comparisons, but the syntax is pleasing. And there's also huge focus from, I guess, some of my mentors around scalability, reliability, concurrency. I'm not sure that those are necessarily the most immediately relevant to an early stage developer, but really it's about the ease of access and the intimate community around it. I think what you're saying hits home for me, like very, very real, the the kind of syntactic sugar. It's fun to pick up Elixir. I personally really loved learning about pattern matching when I was first picking it up. Do you have a moment where you thought, oh, this is awesome? So what uh, <laughs> really clicked for me was, I don't know, I guess there was, we we're building out a small kind of fun time application on the side of one of these mentors. And this is going to sound really goofy, but the pipe operator and just some of that syntactical sugar while we're trying to build out, it made the process engaging in this kind of, I mean, it seems minute, right? But, you know, engaging with code on a 24-7 basis, these small pieces end up, you know, adding up. So I would say that a lot of that, as you spoke to earlier, syntactical sweet sugar as part of the minutiae of uh, daily development really got me excited by continuing to dig into Elixir. And then past that point, it was about, but at least on my side of the street, the small kind of community I had access to where it felt approachable and not necessarily as daunting as um, other languages. I love the pipe operator, so I would like to just ditto you on that. What are some resources that you used to learn Elixir, whether it be tutorials or books? The pragmatic bookshelf books were pretty useful, especially starting out to kind of get a sense of, you know, the concepts and some examples and definitions. Beyond that, I found the code flow thinking Elixir course to be really helpful, specifically around the test-driven exercises. So I don't know, at least for me, it helps to have this, you know, practice makes permanent. It helps to have these exercises to integrate the new the new knowledge to that practice. So Yeah, absolutely. I think you spoke to something a minute ago that is the community around you. Um, you know, the community you work with is a resource in and of itself. What do you think are some things that maybe the Elixir community, which is smaller, could do to make itself more approachable for an early career developer? Yeah, it definitely is smaller. And for me, that can be a pro and a con, right? So there's ways in which a small, intimate community can be more welcoming, especially if you're just trying to learn than something that's overblown. And so that could be a pro. It's a con in the sense that if it becomes homogeneous or insular, that becomes an issue. So I would say efforts to kind of increase the diversity in the, the Elixir community and beyond that, also increasing the range of available kind of materials and opportunities to engage Elixir are ways in which we could continue to grow the community as far as making it more appealing or not even appealing necessarily, but making it more accessible to early stage developers. You know, it's those small wins. They say the worst thing you can do when somebody's trying to learn something new is to, you know, see these people who teach guitar all the time. You start trying to learn the guitar and they'll make you play these complex chords. The best thing you can do is teach somebody how to do, you know, a couple of strings that are going to impress their friends. That'll keep you coming back more and more often. So I would say creating opportunities for early stage developers to get wins with Elixir as a language. I totally agree with you. I think 
the the intimacy of the small community that is Elixir has been for me very welcoming as a developer. I wish there were more women, but that I think is going to be true of. All right, so I have one last question for you, not Elixir yes. related. Mm-hmm. If you were not a software engineer, what would you be? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I like to be a superhero, but I'm not sure that's that's on the table. <laughs> but uh, if I was a software developer, I would be probably actually. You know what? I'd be something of a itinerant teacher. You know, walking forward, spreading spreading knowledge. I love that. Do you have one thing in particular you would want to teach? I love literature. So that would be my go-to. One last question to end it out. What's your favorite book? Oh, see, I should prep for that <laughs> considering my answer. My favorite book. Let me see. It actually is a, it's more of an academic kind of philosophical book, I guess. Peau Noir Masque Blanc by Franz Fanon. It's one of my favorite books. I am going to take your word for it that it's fantastic because I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Elam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a treat to talk to you. Next, we'll spend some time chatting with Elise Navarro, a software engineer at Zingaroo. Welcome to the podcast, Elise. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. I think you are the second lady engineer that we have the pleasure of talking with on the mini Wonderful. feature, which is happy to continue that count. <laughs> always love it when we can bring more into the fold. Mm-hmm. How did you get started in programming? I noticed, I think on your LinkedIn that you got your start more in business. So how did you find your way into this profession? Yeah. I mean, if you wanted, we could have a completely separate interview about my background and my transition into programming, but I'll try to keep it short. So started the first several years of my career working in digital media on the data and analytics side within global advertising agencies and you know, saw what my growth trajectory looked like in that industry and in that career and decided to make a change. And started doing some research, you know, was very curious about programming, had some friends who had similarly pivoted into that career field and decided to pursue a coding bootcamp. So in the fall of 2019, I attended a coding bootcamp and then also on top of that, decided to leave Chicago where I'd been for several years, moved to Denver where I'm located now, and then was job hunting. And then, uh, you know, a global pandemic comes into play. So a lot of different factors or things that, you know, hurdles for me to jump over, but was able to land a contracting job with a local Denver-based startup and was mainly working on the front end in React and Redux. And then that contract ended. And in the spring of this year, started with Zingaroo. So I've fairly new um, to the company and obviously to Elixir, but have been so, so happy, not only with the team and the company, but also just being able to learn the language and the beauty of it, really. So yeah, that's, that's my background and a little bit of how I ended up to get here. I love it was just life change and then another life change and then (laughs) the world decided to do its thing and you're just riding it along. Exactly. I have learned so much about myself, how resilient I can be, you know, being able to really work really hard and even in the midst of setbacks. But I've also found that 
you know, the community of engineers, not only here in Denver, but all over, especially when it comes to females in, in engineering, have been incredibly supportive and really, really helped me to get where I am today. We've got to support each other where we yes, can. Yeah, exactly. I, I would agree with you. The female engineers that have been on my path have been absolutely, mm-hmm. I don't, I can't think of the word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, life changing. I mean, exactly. Them. Yeah, yeah. They are they're game changers and they've paved the way for us. I know you're new to Elixir and Pizzingaroo, mm-hmm. but what are your overall thoughts so far working in Elixir versus your previous contracting gig? You said it was more React and Redux. Yeah, and I and I'll also add my my coding bootcamp was obviously just fundamentals of programming, but that was in Ruby and Rails. So it is kind of nice to have a somewhat of a similar syntax with Elixir, although it's functional programming versus object-oriented with Ruby. And there's just so many built-in functionality within Elixir that kind of makes it feel like magic that I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around and really, you know, I see how it works, but I, I want to really understand like the nuts and bolts of why. We're also using Phoenix as well as the framework. So there's again a lot of awesome things built in there. And we can get into a little bit more too about you know what Elixir or what Zingaro is specifically using um, with Elixir. But so far it's been really great. And I think that again there's enough people on the team or just within the Elixir community that have been super helpful. And, you know, there's plenty of resources to get up to speed. So besides Zingaru obviously uses Elixir. Mm -hmm. Can you give just like a quick pitch for what Zingaru does? Yeah, I guess that would probably be helpful. What is Zingaru? So we have not yet launched our product. So we're in the very early stages as a fintech startup. So it is essentially a competitive trading app that aims to make the stock market more accessible, educational, and social. So what does that really mean? We basically want to help users create financial literacy through play. We've identified opportunity within the existing fintech space and the plethora of trading apps that are out there. And a little bit of lacking when it comes to the social side or the sort of play or competitive side. If you think about industries like fantasy sports or even sports betting, how much competition is sort of underlining in those apps and in that business, as well as right now, the industry, so much of that social side is also siloed. So people are having conversations on Reddit or Twitter, or, you know, looking at the big names in, you know, day traders that are the ones to follow and just mirror what they do. And we want to sort of combine all of those things into a single product. So making it competitive, educational, social, and yeah, more fun. I like that a lot. I was just having a conversation with somebody about financial literacy and you don't get most of it growing up. Uh, you kind of, yes. you kind of have to figure it out yourself. Yeah. And those so are I like not that. the things that you're learning. Even if you study finance in university, you're a lot of it you come out of still not fully understanding. No, absolutely not. So how do you think Elixir benefits Zingaru in building out this new fintech product? That's a great question. So obviously with Elixir and being a fintech product, we need to have security and speed be two of our top priorities. You know, we're real time money trading. So having the security of our 
users' financial data and making sure that the trades are being executed as close to real time as possible. So Elixir helps with that, obviously being really known and strong in terms of one, reliability, speed, things like fault tolerance, and then obviously scalability. Right now, we haven't launched our product yet, but knowing that Elixir will be able to withstand as we grow and you know, from user one to hopefully user 1 million so that it will be able to scale with us. The other thing that we really like about it is that there's not much sprawl when it comes to relying on a lot of third-party libraries. I know that in a recent episode, you talked about Oban and we use things like Oban to coordinate our async workloads. So that includes things like processing our trading jobs or account openings or just the user going through our KYC or know your customer flow. So having Oban jobs to be able to handle and queue up those workloads is really helpful too. Yeah, for sure. I think that this is now my second job where I've gotten to work in Elixir and... I think it's probably underestimated at how versatile it is. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to hear about it being used in a really cool way with fintech product. Yeah. And it's always nice for me to, again, being new to the language and to sort of uncover the fun little features. And again, like I said, things that seem to work like magic that don't require a lot of extra work. Yeah. You mentioned this a bit ago, and I just kind of wanted to circle back around to it quickly As somebody who's new to working in Elixir, you talked about the community of Elixir developers and female developers as well. But so what are some other resources besides the community that you have found extremely valuable? Speaking specifically to Elixir? Yes. Yeah, I think that the amount of obviously being new to just engineering as a whole, I've had to rely a lot on, you know, online resources. And part of our onboarding process actually is you know, doing a online tutorial, especially if you're somebody coming into our team who has no Elixir exposure like myself. So spending the time to, whether it's on YouTube or Udemy or, you know, free code camp or any of the million and one resources available online. So leveraging all of those, we were very fortunate early on when we were building our product, we actually worked with a consultancy agency that was able to help provide us with several engineers. This was early on as our when our team was much, much smaller. And so being able to work with, with some of the members of that team who were truly Elixir experts and to be able to shadow them or, you know, pair program with them or review one of their PRs and be able to ask, you know, any and all question that came to mind. And now that we no longer work with a consultancy agency and, you know, have our engineering team that we've been building out, it's so, so helpful to internally rely on my peers. Again, me being the most junior member of the team, being able to just very easily, even in a distributed network of employees to be able to easily ping a colleague and hop on a call or pair really quickly or, you know, get a better understanding of how something's working on the back end and to make sure that we're not siloed in what we're doing day to day and have a broader understanding of what everyone's doing. So I think just leveraging my peers it within Zinguru as a company, but then also leveraging any of those outside resources, you know, articles, blogs, tutorials, things like that. I think we could probably have a whole other podcast episode <laughs> about the value of pair programming. Yes. Um, but to put you on the spot for one final question, mm-hmm. if you were not a software engineer, what would you be? 
So I love this question. I am a big advocate for people having side hustles or passions outside of their day job. And I know for a lot of engineers, those passions include building their own products. For me, in my past life, when I was living in Chicago, I was a Pilates instructor. So I was very involved in the fitness community in Chicago, taught Pilates while I was working in advertising. So I would wake up super early and teach in the morning before going into work. And I loved every aspect of it. When people talk about being in a flow or never feeling like you're working because you're having so much fun, I definitely found that when I was teaching. But I'm also finding that too in engineering, even with this transition, you know, being new to the industry, I've been super, super happy. But I will say I do miss teaching on the side. So I've got to find a a studio here in Denver to teach at. I understand that there's something about the flow of physical fitness too, especially kind of going in and out of working out and then going to work. It definitely helps your mindset. Absolutely. I like that answer a lot. That's great. It's easy breezy. I've always told people I would love to be a paddleboard instructor. So I mean... Funny. Yeah, I actually live by one of the few bodies of water in Denver. I live by a little lake and people paddleboard all the time. And I've always wanted to try it. It's very fun. Highly recommend. Good to know. Good to know. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to wrap up today's episode with our final mini feature, Jeremy Neal from Clover Food Labs. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining. Just to dive right into things, how did you become a software engineer? Pretty traditional route. I went to undergrad for computer science eventually after bringing out a bunch of stuff. And from there, I got my first internship then job at a research lab doing wildly different stuff. I didn't really touch web programming for years. And I eventually needed to go somewhere else because universities are interesting places, but they don't pay particularly well. Then I went to a startup and it's just been startup after startup after startup. I did a a research internship program once when I was in college. So I totally understand what you mean. It's, it can be really interesting, but not maybe the best place if you like need to make a living. Yeah. No hate to people that work at universities. How'd you find yourself working in Elixir? It's not a super common language. It's a pretty small community. So how'd you get here? I initially looked at it, I don't know, maybe a year or two before I actually started using it at SmartLogic. Phoenix framework had just come out. It seemed pretty interesting, but I didn't have anything concrete to really like dig in with. So I saw it, thought it was neat, but moved on. Then when I was working at SmartLogic, picked it up there, and I've kind of been using it since as my go-to backend language, but with like LiveView and stuff, it's sort of taking over more and more parts of the stack for me, which is nice. We've been, well, I should say we, Sunday and I have been very interested in working in LiveView, but haven't really found any good use cases yet. So to kind of go off the script a bit, how have you been using LiveView? Pretty much anywhere where I need a a fairly basic responsive UI, instead of pulling in React, I'll just use LiveView kind of as far as it can get me. I do think it's a little bit harder to use it for customer-facing apps, particularly because I think there's some expectation that we have better offline support than LiveView does. Like, you go offline, it just doesn't work at all. That's a bit of a struggle for stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing I built on my own with it is basically like a grocery list slash pantry thing for just my own needs because I cook a lot. So you know, I wonder, do I have this one sort of esoteric ingredient and I can just go on my phone, look it up and it's like, oh yeah, it's in the basement. Figure out. That's fantastic. I would use that. 
I think about this problem constantly in my house. It's just like you have like multiple grocery lists kind of floating around on pieces of paper. That's excellent. Yeah. And I, I just bought a house this year. So I have stuff in multiple places. Like I have like bulk storage in the basement because there's a ton of stuff I'll just buy, you know, huge bags of and it doesn't fit anywhere. Then I have like a shelf for spices and then things are just wherever they are in various cabinets. So it's surprisingly easy to lose track of things. And that's how you end up with like seven bags of bay leaves. My thing is I buy Parmesan. I'll put it on the list. I won't know if I need it, but then I'll end up with multiple bags of Parmesan. So mm -hmm. maybe I need to, if you publish it, maybe I'll use it. I'll think about it. One day. Navigating back to the script, what is the elevator pitch for Clover Food Lab? I've been there for like a month and a half, so I should probably work on my elevator pitch. Basically, we want to make meat lovers love vegetables. One of the few ways that we can, as individuals, have an impact on climate change is reducing our meat intake just a little bit. We think it's a lion's task, and that's not the right idiom. Big task to ask people to just stop eating meat entirely, but if you can get them to swap out a meal a day or two meals a week or something like that, you know, that's a really good start. So the idea is we eat like a farm-to-table fast food restaurant, essentially. The service is sort of like McDonald's. You go in, you place your order, you get it, you go sit at your table, in and out. But it's all locally grown, ethically sourced produce of pretty much the highest quality we can find. And the reason that I work there, there in Boston, I live in Baltimore, is because our entire tech stack is stuff we had to build ourselves. When you only have a dish for a certain amount of time because you only have that ingredient for, you bought like this many crates of it. When it runs out, we need to let people know like immediately, hey, you can't, you can't order that anymore forever. So I guess next year. And a lot of restaurant systems don't support that. They assume you're going through sort of standard distributors. Your menu is pretty static. And that also means that like what we have in store has to be reflected online immediately. Someone could be looking at the menu, think I want to get this thing. And well, we just sold the last one. I love this, first of all. It's something I think about quite frequently when I'm thinking about what I want to cook and picking out food at the grocery store, trying to minimize that. So this is incredible. You mentioned that you... It's become Phoenix and Elixir has become your personal choice for writing backends. But is Elixir used at Clover Food Lab? Yeah. So we have a couple main components. We have like our whole kitchen expo. If you ever work in a restaurant, there's just like a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. So that's all a Django app. And then for our online ordering system, the backend for that is in Elixir with Phoenix and the front end is in ClojureScript. Cool. So Sunday and I have previous restaurant app experience. What have been some unique challenges that you think Elixir works really well in solving that are more restaurant kind of space specific? I think like online ordering is a really good, but I guess it's not super restaurant specific, but in our case, you know, you have people ordering stuff that has to reconcile with our backend systems. We have our own databases that are split between the online ordering system and the like backend system. So those have to communicate. Then we have to, you know, connect to Stripe and all of this stuff has to happen correctly. If we drop something in the middle, we have to recover from that. If there's network latency, you know, any number of other things that are going to happen, we need to be able to handle that as seamlessly as possible. And Elixir is really good at that. It's also really fast. So, you know, requests that would otherwise take a long time come back a lot quicker. Yeah, I think that was our experience as well. The speed at which Elixir operates in was really well suited to a restaurant app for everything that you mentioned, including also if a POS system goes down, what do you do? It's just a lot of panic, but Elixir handled it quite nicely, I would say. 
there's a lot of secondary things that need to happen too. So using like gen servers or tasks or anything like that makes it a lot cleaner, I guess, to express those ideas of one place is an order. There's a bunch of stuff we have to do after the fact, but we can just send them a message saying, like, cool, your order's in, it'll be ready in however long. But then we can cleanly take care of all the other things that don't need to be kind of on thread. And it's not a nightmare like most languages I've used do that sort of off-thread tasks. Yeah, it's always nice when the magic is so hidden to the customer. They don't know all that work that's going on in the background. We're going to keep it that way. And then they're just going to eat their meal and be happy, full of vegetables. I have one last question for you. If you weren't a software engineer, what would you be? I'd be a baker. I mean, I've, I've worked in kitchens and restaurants and front of house, back of house. Uh, I wouldn't really ever choose to do that again. It's exhausting. I have a bunch of like scars from the whole experience. And you don't end up actually making a lot of stuff that you want to make. You make what other people want. Bread is way simpler. Everyone likes bread. You don't have to do too many kinds. You can just like figure out what you like. Someone's going to eat it. I love baking. So I love this answer. Do you make sourdough? And if so, can you teach me your ways? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Not yes. as hard as people say, but I'm surprised you haven't picked it up in the past year. Wasn't like the whole thing? I know. Well, to be honest, we've just, we've gone through multiple failed starter attempts and have been very disheartened. And I don't know if it's a flour or a water or a temperature or all combined scenario. Oh, say la vie. But I really do want to make sourdough. It's my favorite bread. It's amazing. It's delicious. So it's good. what, three ingredients? Salt, water, flour? Crunchy. Mm, yummy. Well, before I go down a bread path too much, because I could talk about bread for a long time, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And to all of our listeners, if you or your company are using Elixir in an interesting way and want to come on the show for a mini feature, we would love to have you. Reach out to us at podcast at smartlogic.io with your name, your company's name, and how you're using Elixir. That's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our mini feature guests, Tyler, Elam, Elise, and Jeremy for joining us. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production, and today's episode was hosted by me, Alex Hausend. Our producer is Sunday Mient, and our executive producer is Rose Burt. We get production and promotion assistance from Michelle McFadden and Ashley Stotts. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software, and we're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails, and React, Kubernetes, and React Native. If you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. You can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us again next week for our final season episode on Beam Magic. <laughs>